There's a lost soul who's tired of the sinning. You are listening to the Daily Doctrine Devotional. This is a daily podcast designed to teach and preach Bible doctrine each weekday throughout the year. This is Evangelist Tim McVeigh asking you to please let others know about this podcast so that they can subscribe or tune in each weekday. At the end of the podcast, we will provide you with subscription information as well as contact information for our ministry. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. And the saints all with gladness are singing the glorious song of the redeemed. Song of the redeemed. Thank you once again for tuning into the podcast. We're looking at Messianic Psalms. If you're new to the podcast, you might say, what is a Messianic Psalm? It's a psalm that speaks of Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Israel, and is prophesying concerning him. We see David, who wrote many of the psalmists. He was the sweet psalmist of Israel, and he would write these psalms to be sung. There'd be songs that would be sung in, in, in Sabbath. They'd be sung in feasts. They'd be sung in people's homes. And therefore, they're singing the word of God. That's why the Psalms are so precious. And so we see this Psalm, uh, particularly David is speaking here, and he's speaking of his own calamity. But in the midst of that, he also speaks of Jesus Christ. And so we see prophecy concerning that one which is to come. The purpose for that, I believe, is absolutely, if we would believe the Psalms concerning Jesus Christ, then we would come to Jesus Christ in salvation. If we believe what he says of him in the Psalms, the prophets, the law of God, we'd have no trouble coming to him by faith. And so the word of God tells us here in Psalm 35, it tells us, yes, this is David's calamity. But then we also see the gnashing of the teeth. We see the my dar- rescue the darling from the lions. We know he's speaking of Jesus Christ. We speak of the Holy One of God, the fullness of God bodily, Jesus Christ. And so we see that in this psalm, especially because it's a little bit more lengthy psalm, we see David uh, as he kind of goes into the role of the prophet. He is yes, he's complaining of his own issue and his own problem with the wicked. Uh, one man told me recently he believes this is the time when Absalom has has uh, has come to the throne and Absalom has taken the throne. Another man just told me again recently he believes in this portion of scripture. It's when Nathan tells him that he's given occasion for the enemies of God to laugh. And so I take those into account. I pray that you would consider the time that David wrote this psalm, that David would give understanding to us concerning that in the words that he spake in this psalm. But I want to look at something different today, something we've probably not done before extensively on this podcast. But I want to look at some of the linguistics of what's being said here. I want to look at sentence structure, if you will. And I want to look at this in verse 1, and I'm going to break these down one by one. And we see two completely different statements being made, and they're separated by a colon. And so we see a statement is made by David, and then we see a colon, and then we see another sentence being being stated. And it's interesting because you see David often in the one sentence, and you see the follow-up sentence, you can see Jesus Christ. And it's interesting how he kind of goes back and forth, and that's not in every case. So again, this is not a rule that we're going to establish. This is just something unique to this psalm, something I've seen in this psalm that the Lord's let us get a little bit of insight into. And so we start in verse 1, and I'll let you know where the colon is. And then then again, it's two completely different statements, two completely different sentences, if you will, in that verse. He said, please my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me, colon, fight against them. 
that fight against me. So again, similar statements, plead my cause, fight for me, if you will, two very similar statements being made, but yet it's two separate statements, two separate sentences, if you will, that colon divides them. Verse three, he says, draw out also the spear and stop the way against them that persecute me. And then again, there's a colon and he says, say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. So two completely different statements are made here. One of those, I believe, certainly can be attributed to Jesus Christ. One of the keys in the Psalms is when we see him mention my soul so many times, he's referencing Jesus Christ. I don't want to say exclusively, but as you look more at this Psalm, you realize he absolutely is prophesying of Jesus Christ. And so that colon separates that. Verse four, let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. There's a colon. So he goes right back in the next verse, and he can let them be confounded and put to shame to seek after my soul, stops, and then says, let them be turned back and brought to confusion that devise my hurt. So two totally different statements in the same sentence. And the Lord is using this to show us there's a sentence after sentence after sentence. He is making, I would call it this, a staccato type statement. It's just one after the other, shotgun type preaching. Verse five, let them be as chaff before the wind, colon, and let the angel of the Lord chase them. And so again, now we're dealing with the angel of the Lord, and we know that he encampeth round about them that fear him. We learned that in our last psalm. And so now he's brought the second part of the sentence, and he says, and let the angel of the Lord persecute them. And then he says again in the next passage in verse 8, let destruction come upon him at unawares, and let his net that he hath hid catch himself. And there's a colon there. Into that very destruction, let him fall. So again, he speaks of the destruction. Then he makes a statement at the end, and he is judging when he says, into that very destruction, let him fall. Verse 9, and my soul shall be joyful in the Lord, colon, it shall rejoice in his salvation. So again, two completely different statements. Verse 11, and it's unique exclusively in the word of God here. In verse 11, he says, false witnesses did rise up. They laid to my charge things that I knew not. And so we see as he continues, he said, they reward me evil for good, the spoiling of my soul. But then in verse 13, but as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth, colon. I humbled my soul with fasting and my prayer returned in my own bosom. Now he's completely separating those sentences. They really aren't really relational to one to another, but it's in the same verse. And God has put it that way that we can understand that. Read it like this. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. Who is that? They rewarded me evil for good. But then there's a colon. And then he says, I humbled my soul with fasting. And my prayer returned to my own bosom. He's going back to the verse prior to the spoiling of my soul. And so again, I'm teaching this, preaching this to give us understanding of how to look at the scripture and discern exactly what's being said, who is it speaking about, but also how to read in the context to gain understanding from previous verses. And God has used punctuation, colons, semicolons, periods, question marks, exclamation points, commas. He's used these things to help us get an understanding. I don't know right away. Somebody goes, well, they're not in the originals. Well, they're in the original English. 
And I believe the original English is good enough for me. It has been for all these years. I believe it's good enough for God. And so the translators saw fit to take this fledgling language and use proper punctuation. And in doing so, they broke all the rules of punctuation. You go to the College of New England, you read, they kind of set the example, if you will, for the standards of English punctuation, English grammar today. And one of the first things you see when you look up uh, two colons in a sentence, they say that absolutely it should not be. Uh, there should never be two colons in a sentence. Yet we see that in the Word of God. We see that through the Word of God. And so the Lord very clearly thought more of that than what the, the College of New England thought. And so he gave the translators that wisdom to put two colons to show there's a thought within the thought, a sentence within the sentence. But here he's dividing sentences. Here he's colonating them. And then he's adding to the sentence. He's adding another statement. Verse 14, I behave myself as though he had been my friend or brother. Stop, colon. I bow down heavily as one that mourneth for his mother. So again, a staccato statement, a staccato statement. And the reason, again, I'm emphasizing this is to understand how to read the Bible, how to study the Bible, and to make sure that you'd rightfully divide the word of truth. That's what the punctuation has done. It's rightly divided the word of truth. I'll come back to verse 15 and verse 16 in a little bit, but with verse 18, I will give thee thanks in the great congregation. Stop. I will praise thee among much people. Verse 19, let them that are mine enemies wrongfully rejoice over me. And then again, he continues on the same thought, but with a colon. Neither let them wink with the eye that hate me without a cause. Now, I am going somewhere with this. I hope it's a help. I hope it's a blessing. In verse 20, he says, for they speak not peace, colon, but they devise deceitful matters against them that are quiet in the land. So here from verse 19 to verse 20, we see each verse is separated with a colon. The verses are separated by a, a, a period, but he's making four distinct statements, all relational, all together, yet each one of those statements is a standalone statement in the word of God. Verse 25, let them not say in their hearts, ah, so would we have it, there's a colon then, let them not say we have swallowed him up. Let them be ashamed, in verse 26, and brought to confusion together, that rejoice at mine hurt, colon. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor that magnify themselves against me, period. Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause, colon. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. So now we've looked at the rules. We've looked at some of the statements that have been made. But I want to look at this. Verse 15 and verse 16, especially, he says, but in mine adversity, they rejoiced and gathered themselves together, colon. Yea, the abjects gathered themselves together against me, and I knew it not, semicolon, they did tear me and cease not, colon. So here's two colons in the same sentence, but then they're separated because there's another verse. So he ends this verse with a colon, and then he goes on to verse 16, with hypocritical mockers and feasts, they gnashed upon me with their teeth. So we have one long sentence here in the word of God, verse 15, verse 16, and it's separated within that. The Bible 
Sometimes we'll use parenthetical application. Other times we'll use commas. But here explicitly, he's saying, stop, there's a new thought. Stop, there's a new thought. Stop, I'm going to finish the original thought. Let me read it like this. Verse 15, but in my adversity, they rejoiced and gathered themselves together, colon, I'm going to go to verse 16, with hypocritical mockers and feasts, they gnashed upon me with their teeth. Now, what is being read in between? And I'd like to emphasize that. He says in verse 15, yea, the abjects gathered themselves together against me, and I knew it not. They did tear me and ceased not. So the abjects, who are the abjects? They're the outcasts. Those those have been cast away from God. We see the abjects of, in the word of God. We see the Edomite is abject. And uh, we see the scorner is, is cast away of God. The Sodomites were cast away of God. They've been cast out, if you will. The Amorites, the heathens are cast out. The Canaanites are cast out. The Hittites are cast out. The Gergesites are cast out. The Amorites are cast out. The Hivites are cast out, the Parabites are cast out, the Jebusites are cast out, and then in the book of Revelation, he casts out that serpent, that old serpent, which is the devil, which is Satan. So he casts him out. And so when he's speaking here, right in the midst of all of that, he said, the abjects gathered themselves together against me, and I knew it not, they did tear me and ceased not, colon, end of sentence. So there's a sentence in the middle of this passage and he deals with the adversity. He deals with the rejoicing. But let me say this. He changes the subject matter of whom he's speaking of in the midst of verse 15. In verse 15, he's speaking of his own calamity. My adversity, they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. That is an understanding of when Nathan the prophet came to him. And we see the enemies of God are laughing and mocking. Why? Because David, the great king, the great man of God, he has sinned. And then we see it with hypocritical mockers and feasts. They gnashed upon me with their teeth. And so again, we see, is it messianic? It could absolutely be. But in the midst of that, with all clarity, he says, Yea, the abjects gathered themselves together against me, and I knew it not. They did tear me and ceased not. Where are the outcasts? The outcasts are in hell. Why? They've been cast into hell. When the devil is cast out, where is he cast out to? When the Jebusite was cast out, what was his eternal destiny? When the Gergesite was cast out, what was eternal destiny? And I believe what he's saying here is we see Jesus Christ, David in his own calamity prophesies in the midst of this verse when he talks about those that have been cast out, those rejected of God, they've all come against him. And one might make a case and say, this is Calvary. I'll tell you why I don't necessarily believe that. Because we also see there's others that are cast out in the word of God. We know they laughed him to scorn. There is the scorner. We know the heathens came against him. There's the Romans. We know the the, the those cast away from God in Canaan, the Canaanites and all of the land, we see all of them were cast out from God. We see, yes, they've come against him at Calvary. We see where he came to his own, his own received him not. But what we see here is we see the suffering Savior. For the word of God tells us this, they did tear me and cease not. And so as they tore at him, as they rent him, as he suffered, 
And my friend, is one of the great arguments I hear so often is people, uh, they're not willing to go against the scriptures. They say, well, Jesus Christ didn't really suffer in hell. He just went and got the keys of death and of hell. How many seconds would you have to spend in hell before you suffered? How many milliseconds would you have to spend in the awfulness of hell, separated from God in the fiery torment of hell before you said, I'm suffering? How many seconds would you have to spend in hell before all the cast out of this world that have been damned because of the rejection of Jesus Christ? How many seconds would you spend with them before you would say, I'm suffering? They're gnashing upon me. They're tearing at me. They're out to get me. And I believe that's why David is speaking in prophecy here. But to my friend, to be honest with you, it took me trying to understand, and I don't want to say this is an easy thing for me, and I'm not trying to play some kind of false humility game, but it's not an easy thing for me to always understand these things. But these are the downtrodden. These are the outcasts. These are those cast away from God. And the linguistics that's used here helps us to understand that. And so when you read this King James Bible, look at your punctuation. When you look at Messianic Psalms, look at that punctuation. Try to understand that punctuation. And if you're like me, and you don't know how to really understand the punctuation, you're terrible with grammar, terrible with English, terrible with language, terrible with vocabulary, learn. Try to grasp it. And you know how you grasp it? You use King James Bible. It's amazing how much English I've learned since I picked up a King James Bible. It's amazing how much more I know about grammar when I picked up a King James Bible. It's amazing how much more I know about punctuation since I picked up a King James Bible. You know why? Because it's consistent. It's pure, it's true, it's holy, it's faithful. Can we just believe what we're reading? I want to say to you, yes, we can. I want to thank the Lord for this podcast. I hope it's a help. If you want to reach out to us, contact us, ask questions, feel free to do so. We'll give you information at the end of the podcast. Pray for the services throughout the rest of the week, would you please? There's a lost soul who's tired of his sinning And he longs to return to the Lord as he cries for forgiveness and mercy, God is waiting. You have been listening to the Daily Doctrine Podcast with Evangelist Tim McVeigh. For correspondence, please contact us through our website and someevangelist.com and use the contact form to connect with us. You may also subscribe to the podcast through our website or search for Daily Doctrine Evangelist Tim McVeigh on iTunes. Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, or Amazon. To write to us, please use our church address, which is Manasseh Community Baptist Church, 70 Back Hollow Road, Blaine, Pennsylvania, 17006. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. Don't forget to subscribe and tune in tomorrow. And remember to look up for your redemption all night. Now the angels of God are rejoicing, for the prodigal child has come home, and the saints all with gladness are singing the